The button has been pushed. Commencing podcast now. Flex in the Q zone. <laughs> I hear the synth coming in. Yes, indeed. Welcome to Pop Tech Jam, the independent audio magazine about consumer technology, pop culture, and anything else we feel like talking about here in the Q-Zone. And to our listeners, uh, we're back. We apologize for the extended absence. Life happened. but Life uh, kicked us in the booty. We managed to uh, get together here uh, to record another show. Hopefully we're going to be back on track. I am J.D. Beersdorfer. And I'm Pedro Rafael Rosado. As I said, here we are, a Pop Tech Jam. Uh, we've been off the internet airwaves a little bit longer than yeah, we intended. A little bit anticipated, uh, there yeah. were some major U.S. election things happening. There were some and life work things. Stuff yeah. and life stuff and school closings and school openings and school closings again. It's crazy. Yeah, they're in open. The, they're in the Q zone. Flex in the Q zone. <laughs> yes, as, as El Kaiser says, we must be flex in the Q zone here. We must be flex in the Q zone. Yes. Uh, but anyway, we're back. Yes. We're back. You know, and, and it's just par for the course for this year. It I is. Mean, we, are, we are coming down to the last few weeks of 2020, which even Time Magazine has gone at the worst year ever. Of course, you know, when yeah, you compare that to like some Black Death years and the yeah, 1300s, you know, maybe and, it's... And some you know, at World War II years, that might be a little hyperbole. Yes, but, yes. But you know in what? modern memory, in uh, modern I memory, would probably in put our this lifetime. one up there with uh, yeah. the most craptacular uh, year of at least, you know. The, the suckitude was high. Yeah, it I think definitely it's definitely winning for worst year of the century. Cause, you know, yes, it's got that hands down. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, and, you know, we, if we go to millennia, yeah, you know, then it's got a little more competition yeah, it's there. A little, t- a little more competition. I agree. I agree. But yeah, listen, but what I've done. While I'm flexing in the Q zone, I have been catching up on my Mandalorian. Oh yes, it's been a, a robust season. It has so far. been. Have you been watching? I have. I, I believe I am caught up uh, with nice. the current episode. Okay, we're gonna put an obligatory spoiler alert here. Spoilerage. Spoilerage coming here. So if you are listening past this point, things will get spoiled for you. In the Mandalorian. So, at this point now, I'm going to give you a second to sh- maybe go. Maybe what do you think? Like a minute? Yeah, People can fast forward a minute. Maybe even longer because there is a lot to unpack here, and right. uh, and also we should uh, clarify uh, which episode we are up to too, yes, in case uh, people are, are getting I'm spoiling this, uh, everything. Are oh, you kidding me? I'm going to full spoil. Okay, so you're just going to go full up to like spoilage. season uh, two, please. episode six, or whatever. I'm going to go yeah. everything. I'm going to go full bore spoilage. All right, so now. JD, tell me you've caught up to the show. I have caught up to the show. I, I believe because it drops what at three in the morning or whatever on yeah uh, Thursday. Yeah, right? yeah. So or uh, Friday mornings. Yeah, and and I don't grab it when it immediately uh, comes out. But but you know, watch it on what the weekend. You're not, and, there at th- you're not there at three oh one a.m. And I, I I have not. You know, I've been, I've been trying no? to get more rest here in the in the stressful uh, Q's <laughs> okay, online. But but, uh, but anyway, I I did watch the episode that dropped most recently. They have not released a new episode since I have watched the show. So I am considering myself caught up. Okay, so two words: boba and fet. Oh yes. Let me tell you something. The entire Rosado clan watched this. Right? We screamed. We screamed when he put the armor on. Ooh. I mean, like literally doing 
fist bump, fist pumps and screams and all that and inappropriate Sarlacc poop jokes mm-hmm. and everything. We were like so jazzed. This is the only show on television. And it's not even on television. It's on Disney+. Plus. It's the only video product on the interwebs that gets the entire Rosado family in agreement of how cool it is. Even Mrs. Kaiser was fist pumping and the whole nine yards. And she hasn't watched the last three uh, Star Wars movies. She was freaking out. Yeah, well, I, I, the thing that, that when the, there was the big reveal, and they had hinted about it earlier in the season. Uh, in the first season, they hinted at it. Yeah, yeah, but, and, you know, the, the mysterious guy, uh, Tamlin yeah. on Tatooine or whatever. But the thing that occurred to me, because The Mandalorian has been so well done, and if you take it at its face value, like, yes, this is a space cowboy samurai movie, you know, Lone Wolf and Cub and all of that, and you take it in that very, uh, you know, it's not trying to be the movie for everyone everywhere about, you know, which I think a lot of the um, Star Wars uh, sequels stressed a little bit yeah, too far, but yeah, for people yeah. who were just so enamored of the original trilogy and that moment with, with the big reveal, you know, for that, I think more people got more out of that than seeing Han Solo and Chewbacca come on the Millennium Falcon in the the J.J. Abrams reboot. Like, just because it it felt, you know, A, was a little bit more unexpected, I think, at the time. And Mm -hmm. I think it was just a much tighter focus on this one character, and we've always wondered what happened to him, and they've hinted and hinted, and here he is, and it was just like, boom, you know, this this is, you know, and so I think every Star Wars fan of the original trilogy just was like falling over backwards on the couch oh, because it finally happened please. and it was done without a lot of bombast and fanfare no, and a huge nope. PR campaign leading up to it. Nope. I mean, and the thing is, too, I was already stoked having been a fan of Clone Wars. They had Osoka Tano the week before. And I was like, wow, they had Rosario Dawson playing Ahsoka Tano. She looked phenomenal she did i mean they they could not have picked a better actor to play the character it was it was perfect she was perfect and now i'm like damn they should have a movie Mm -hmm. you know the mandalorian is just straight up killing it just absolutely killing it they're tying in all the 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 separate little weird things from clone wars the mandalorian story which involves now ahsoka tano and it's just amazingly well done. It makes sense. Dave Filoni is the guy who he was helping run the show with the, the Mandalorian with Jan, John Favreau, and he also did Clone Wars and Rebels. Yeah, so you've so, got all this narrative continuity like oh, right there. It's, wow, it's just so, and it looks absolutely amazing. The show just looks like a movie every week, and the directors they have. I mean, Robert Rodriguez did this last one. Yeah, Carl Weathers did one too, didn't he? Carl Weathers, I mean, who'd have thunk it? And that episode was fantastic. Yeah, and, and they're also really tight. I mean, some people complain, oh, it's barely half an hour. I'm not getting my, my quality. It's I like, don't care. You know, it's such incredibly focused and tight storytelling that yes. if it goes on longer than that, that then maybe it's, it's going to start to feel, yeah, like, like yeah. it's padded. So they are just laser focused and like, boom, this is what happened. Let's move on to the next chapter. And that keeps you, and, it, and it's true to the, to the format of the serialized movie. Like they, Absolutely. they only give you just enough to like really make you want the next installment and then leave you hanging for a uh-huh. week or however long, you know, your, your interval is. And yep. then you're back and you're ready for more. And then those are the people who are probably up at three in the morning waiting for the new episode. I'm too old to do that. But you know, some people, are there ready for because they've also got to do the reaction videos yep so yep. it's uh but yeah it, it's been really um 
a joy. Like you, you feel like the, the show has really gelled. Uh, you know, they had a couple of episodes that were a little wonky the first season, but it's just oh, really yeah, I, bearing down know, on the, the yeah. overall story arc. But the, I still the wonky episodes and all. I'm still enjoying the entire the entire thing. It's just so enjoyable, so well done, so professionally crafted. You know, they're not they didn't skimp on it which was my fear that the special effects are amazing. It's just, it's been a, it's been a delight to watch. And you know what? It's fan service that works. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not fan service. That's really in your face. Yeah. Or or sort of looking down at the fans. Like it's fan service that is meeting them on the level or above and taking it, you know, up. So, and allowing for new fans to embrace the show. Mm -hmm. That's how you do it. You know what? Even if nobody knows who Boba Fett is, you know what I mean? If you walked into this cold, all you would see is a badass character who re- was destroying stormtroopers with that stick that turned out to be, if you're a real geek, because we looked it up at the Rosado clan, it's a Tusken Raider stick. Yeah, I was thinking, that. what are they, the, the Ganji sticks? I forget what they call yeah, them. Yeah, I forgot what they're called, but that's what they are. I mean, just amazing. Just amazing. I am so thrilled with the show. You could not believe it's not a Tiger King, you know what I mean? Like, it's not because we're in the Q zone that it's a thing. This is just the show that would have been humongous regardless. Yeah. Grogu is now the most popular character, Star Wars character mm-hmm. in the House Rosado. He's quite a little charmer. He really is. He really is. Anywho, JD, do we have any news? Was there any news? Did anything happen? I guess stuff must have happened we, while we, we were ha- away. We've had some news uh, since then we have been away uh, and some very big news uh, most recently. Um, you know how people have been thinking that Facebook's been getting just a little bit too big for its britches? This is even before all of the election misinformation, disinformation, all of that, you know, when they finally started to step it up. But Facebook over the years has gotten larger and larger, and they've bought uh, companies. They bought Instagram in 2012, and they bought WhatsApp a couple of years later, and just really expanding their power. People have noticed that. And in fact, just this week, the Federal Trade Commission, and I think about 46 U.S. states, led by Letitia James, the Attorney General of New York, uh, accused Facebook of basically um, monopolistic uh, practices, you know, buying up their rivals, squishing the competition, uh, and just uh, really kind of dominating the space. So these two, and there's two lawsuits, uh, one by the FTC and one by all of the states uh, that were filed. Uh, in a, a court in uh, Washington, D.C., so uh, straight up, you know, there in the, the nation's capital, they have filed these uh, lawsuits against Facebook. And this is sort of a, a theme we've seen or a trend of the government finally starting to kind of go after some of the big tech companies. You know, there was the Google suit and uh, more scrutiny. But there was a very big press conference yesterday. Tish James came out and, and did her piece and talked about why they were doing this. And I think a lot of people were like, oh, you know, maybe people are finally stepping up and it's a little bit more than what the European Commission has done, where they're mainly just fining these big tech companies. Yeah, this is, this is a big difference. Yeah, th- this is, uh, you know, taking a bowling ball and knocking some pins down if it goes through. Again, this is, they just announced it this week and antitrust lawsuits take forever because there's mounds of evidence and Facebook is saying, well, no, everyone approved all these deals and now you're trying to go backwards and this will prove to the business community that no acquisition or merger is ever real or safe. So, so they're pushing back. They, they've got their legal counsel already out there up front. And 
you know, some of the government arguments are that, well, we gave you permission to to add these companies and you said you were going to not do certain things and then you did those things. And when you bought these companies, they weren't that big, but they got much bigger. And so it's just ballooned in size and it is creating a monopoly in, in the social media space, uh, crushing small companies who don't advertise online or don't have that ability to uh, really uh, leverage the platforms or don't want to have anything to do uh, with, with Facebook and its companies. So so we've seen uh, a lot of these sort of uh, legal actions kind of bubbling up lately. Uh, but unlike the uh, European Union, which is doing a lot of fining, even though they're big, chunky fines, uh, it's still, I think, fairly easy for the big tech giants to just uh, toss out some coins and, and pay their bills and move on. What the uh, FTC and the states are doing here is actually talking about busting up Facebook, which is yes, a much larger yeah. proposition here. And it's it is old a, school. Very. Uh, this is very like AT&T, even going back to the 19th century with trust busting and, and Teddy Roosevelt and all that. And it's a bipartisan effort, too. Uh, the head of the FTC is a Republican. The lead attorney general going forth into battle here on behalf of the states is a Democrat. So I am it's not unfamiliar a, with that term, bipartisan. Yes, we, 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 we rarely <laughs> see it anymore. So, it, yeah, this is sort of a, the big shot across uh, Facebook's uh, very prodigious bow here. They've just laid it out now, and, and Facebook is already pushing back, but it's going to be forever until anything is decided. And some antitrust cases are actually kind of hard to prove, so it's not a slam dunk for the, the people who are, are filing the lawsuits. So Facebook's got deep pockets, lots of lawyers. They're going to push back and fight it. Maybe there's going to be some minor restrictions. Who knows? But I don't think it's going to affect any users of any of these platforms or the companies themselves for at least a couple of years. Right, I'm trying to right. think when the last major antitrust thing happened, but it, I remember it taking quite a while. It wasn't like a three-month thing. So that that was kind of big. And uh, we'll, we'll have a uh, links to some stories, uh, both about the overall lawsuits that were filed and then also how, how it may be argued and why it's not specifically a slam dunk. Um, so, so that was one thing that happened. And then there were some other things. No stranger to diversity controversy. Uh, Google here finds itself in another incident, uh, this time over the departure of Timnit Gebru, a scientist and the technical co-lead of Google's ethical AI team, who also happens to be black and female. As we know, Google has had uh, some problems with diversity over the, the years and engineers and, and uh, different uh, factions forming. But uh, Dr. Gabriel said that she was fired by Google after the company tried to suppress her research on AI bias. And after she uh, criticized the company's diversity efforts, Google, for its part, claims she resigned and th that she chose to leave. But not a lot of people seem to be buying that version of the story. Nope. Uh, now, The Guardian of London now reports that uh, more than 1,200 Google workers uh, condemned the dismissal of Dr. Gabriel, and more than uh, 1,500 other researchers also signed a letter in support of her and her work. Dr. Gabriel uh, wrote on Twitter, I believe this was last week sometime, uh, that she had been fired after sending an email about a research paper dispute to an internal group for women and allies uh, working in the company's AI unit. And in this message, she also expressed frustration, uh, shall we say, with Google's diversity programs in general. Now, uh, the message was obtained by a tech newsletter, and uh, in there sort of has more of the details of what went on there. But the doctor had argued there was zero accountability or real incentive for Google's leadership to change. To quote her, uh, your life gets worse when you start advocating for underrepresented people. You start making the other leaders upset, she wrote. <laughs> you know what? 
I think I'm going to mute my mic. Yeah, just in case segment. something so, pops out. Yeah, yeah, just, so. just, you know, not for no reason whatsoever, but my, muting my mic now. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so so uh, continuing, uh, she also said there's no way uh, more documents or more conversations will achieve anything, end quote. Now, uh, you may recall uh, Dr. Gabriel's work, including, uh, I guess, uh, there was co-authorship of a widely cited 2018 paper that found uh, higher error rates in facial analysis technology for women with darker skin tones. We may have talked about that a few years Years ago, I know. Yes, we, we did. Yes, we talked did a lot about inherent bias built into uh, AI algorithms. So yes, we have. Yes, we have. Her paper back then was uh, one of the uh, research materials there that's sort of documenting this process. So this is sort of a brewing within Google, and you know, it's just more argument about technology companies should do more to ensure AI systems aimed at mimicking humans' writing and speech uh, do not amplify historical gender biases or use of offensive language as well. So there are both racial and gender components in there in her work that she felt that they were pushing back on or wanted to dismiss. So I don't know where this will go. Hopefully someone will immediately go out and hire her because it sounds like she was doing phenomenal work. And I don't know what Google was doing here. I'm sure there's going to be more, you know, of the two sides coming out against each other and and perhaps some legal things. But if uh, the doctor uh, is available for work, I'd hopefully someone will just hire her immediately and and have her continue her studies. If they were smart, they would. Yes. So so, so that was uh, one thing that's kind of uh, roiling the tech landscape. But uh, speaking of AI and bias... The New York Times reports that flying drones powered by artificial intelligence are helping uh, the police department of Chula Vista, California. The department responds to as many as 15 emergency calls with a drone and uh, has launched more than 4,100 flights since its Drone as First Responder program began a couple of years ago. That is the most terrifying thing you've ever said on this show, by the way. The way that this program works is the cops get a 911 call. Depending on the nature of the call, they will send a drone out there. So the drone flies over and it uses its artificial intelligence to suspect suspicious activity on a scene. So if it's, there's something that trips its algorithm, it can pursue and record suspects who may be running away from crime scenes or something and is sending this video back to the police. However, civil liberties advocates are concerned with drones that automatically follow and record people uh, possibly having privacy problems, not to mention the algorithms that may have the racial bias baked right in. So... They've been using this for two years, and I don't know how many arrests they have had with the drones and what the breakdown of who these drones are tailing and arresting, what that looks like. But it is another case of artificial intelligence and drones sort of getting in there and doing police work. Mm-hmm. That, that makes me nervous because there is going to be privacy on the street. And if you're not doing anything, is the drone flying around filming the whole scene uh, going to be narking you? God, I, I'm just terrified. I'm just going to crawl up in a uh, fetal position under my desk right now. Yeah, you either get like one of those microwave jammers. To, you know. <laughs> but, uh, but also in drone news, the Wall Street Journal has a story pondering if delivery drones will be changing the way people design their homes. This is a question they posed uh, with uh, unmanned flying objects schlepping your Amazon deliveries, prescriptions, and emergency grocery items through the skies to your home. Are we going to see drone landing pads, retractable garage roofs, or special <laughs> mailboxes for airdrops? You know, some architects may have these things on the drafting board for those truly future-proof houses. Uh, my sister-in-law is an architect. I'm going to ask her. Yes, I'm going to ask her, say, listen, don't do it. Yes. Don't do it. Don't put that drone landing pad on the garage roof. I beg you, for family harmony. Yes. 
hopefully, it's not yeah. See, you know, my family, we talk about religion and politics, but no drones. Yes, we no don't drones. talk drones. All right. So, no so that is the one topic that no one will discuss. Yes. yes, no one will discuss. Yes. All right. Well, we'll, we'll see, you know, the, in, in 10 years, you know, what would Frank Lloyd Wright have done um, <laughs> with his delivery drone telepad? Moving on, uh, Twitter continues to uh, uh, add uh, more bits of civilization to its service. Uh, they recently expanded hate speech rules to, quote, prohibit language that dehumanizes people on the basis of race, ethnicity, or national origin, end quote. Oh, that's nice of them. Yeah. You that's know, very what, what kind. Is it, 2020? Yes, uh, yeah. the new change uh, comes more than six months uh, from the latest update to the microblogging services code of conduct, which uh, back then banned hate speech related to age, disability, and disease. I guess you couldn't do it all at once. Uh, but anyway, so we're do, we're rolling out our civilization in phases here. Under the latest rules, Twitter will require users to delete tweets with dehumanizing language, targeting people based on those criteria, race, ethnicity, or national origin. And the company has cited research in its uh, publishing of its decision to do this. So it's uh, citing this research that links dehumanizing language to offline violence. Really? Yes, they're saying what <laughs> happens online can also happen offline. I'm shocked. I'm gobsmacked. <laughs> yeah, so, and I don't know if this will uh, further the exodus. Uh, one of the things that happened while we were gone was Parler, I guess, got a little bit of a membership increase because some people felt that Twitter was uh, censoring. And wow. so a lot of people uh, huffed it over to Parler. Um, I don't oh, think wow. they quit their Twitter accounts because uh, yeah, no, they're kind of back and forth. But It's nonsense. It's nonsense. It, it, they're never going to leave Twitter because Twitter is a huge platform. Parler is a cesspool of of crazy. That's what it is. It's a cesspool of crazy. They actually have to pay or they offer to pay people to go on there that have opposing views. Yeah, so it wouldn't be a giant echo chamber. Exactly. Yes. Well, moving on to uh, other topics. Yes. Because this also happened uh, while we were away. Wonder Woman 84 is going to be out on uh, both home TV screens and Uh in the theaters this holiday season. Uh, And this was just the beginning. And guess who already ordered a new TV? Did you get it just for for Wonder Woman? I did. I'm not even lying. And on top of that, I did it before I heard some of the preview reviews. Uh Uh-huh. Which are saying... Very good things, by the way. Ooh, ooh, I like that. Well, I feel like this this Wonder Woman movie, they have been teasing it for a year. And I, I'm sure it's been done because it was supposed to have like a summer release and then it got bumped to a fall yeah. release. And so, you know, it's just been like waiting to burst forth from this. Now, now did you go out and get like the 80-inch screen? Uh, no, I didn't get a shack size. Or? I didn't get a shack size TV. I got a, 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 a reasonable sized TV. I got talked out of it by actually, uh, surprisingly enough, by my kids and my wife not to get a shack size TV. HBO Max. Sounds like you're going to have this uh, amazing home theater system. And this will be good because not only will you have Wonder Woman 84, Warner Brothers announced that they were going to put all of their films scheduled for a 2021 theatrical release out simultaneously on HBO Max. Uh, For the first month, not uh, entirely, but for the first month, you could have the choice of going to a theater, which depending on the COVID outbreak in your neighborhood – could be more or less uh, unappealing, uh, but you still have uh, the home thing. If you've got HBO Max, I do, and you have one month that you can see all of these films that Warner Brothers was going to to put into theaters anyway. This is clearly a, a pandemic precaution in a world that's just starting to kind of get glimmers of a vaccine rollout, but we're still very much in the thick of it. But some industry types are. are concerned that this could change the movie business permanently if things really take off or 
theaters happen to go out of business because they're not making enough money to sustain because people go in and, and buy all the popcorn and stuff for $50 and they're not making the money there. So we'll see what that does for the industry. But but Warner isn't the only uh, major company uh, dealing with a shift in the business here, too. No matter what their decision to put all these theatrical releases out for, for a month of home release, companies are looking at you know things that people used to do in person. If we can't make money at that, what are we going to do? And as the Financial Times reports, uh, the 97-year-old Walt Disney Company uh, is one of the corporations dealing uh, with the pandemic's hit to its theatrical releases, its theme park and resort business, and all of those things that, that people used to do in person at Disney properties. I guess that's knocked about $7 billion with a B dollars off the operating profit uh, from the House of Mouse. Ouch. So they are uh, feeling that. Disney Plus, the home of the Mandalorian, however, has signed up more than 70 million subscribers in its first year challenge wow. Netflix. I think Netflix wasn't taking it seriously. And, oh, maybe it'll get 20 million, but, you know, we're still going to be Netflix and we'll be king. So, so Disney Plus has got 70 million subscribers. Part of that was probably the Hamilton movie, the Mandalorian, all of the Pixar catalog, all of this. The, uh, really the Marvel great. catalog? Yeah, yeah. So, so tons of amazing uh, content that people will watch over and over again. So that, that has probably helped with the Disney Plus subscribers. So, so, so there's some of it, you know, some of the properties are, though, expensive to produce and they're still getting, you know, everything sort of settled and signing up even more subscribers. But Disney does own traditional TV networks as well, including ABC and ESPN. Clearly, broadcasting cable channels are not probably what they used to be, but they're still showing profits. I guess they made about $6 billion operating on their traditional TV outlets. All of this is also making Disney, because Disney Plus is going full tilt, they're paying less attention to Hulu, which I guess they have the majority stake in now. That Hulu has just changed hands so many times, I can never remember who owned parts of it, but I think Disney has the majority on it. And they were going to maybe do a global rollout of Hulu to try to get more subscribers for it, but they seem to have kind of lost interest in it. Getting live sports is always problematic because of the, the deals they need to cut with the leagues and all that. So that's sort of an expensive proposition. And they were going to have like an ESPN Plus that had live streaming. So so Disney's sort of figuring out where they're going to go with their TV properties and how to juggle things around until the coronavirus is under control and they can get people back to Walt Disney World and all of the uh, the, the places that they used to to have for people to come spend money. Yeah, I mean, sadly, they had, they laid off a bunch of people from the uh, parks and stuff. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't like twenty eight to 31,000 people yeah. lost their jobs because the theme parks were a huge employer. Yep. So, uh, again, hoping for a speedy vaccine. Yeah, so uh, now moving on, although rumored augmented reality glasses and other additions to its product line haven't emerged yet, uh, Apple has had a busy 2020. The company churned out some iPad hardware updates for new iPhones, a shrunken version of its HomePod speaker, and uh, computers that ditched the Intel processor in favor of Apple's first handcrafted chip, the M1. Which is causing some serious consternation all over the place. Yes, I, I have heard uh, some uh, some reactions to it. Because I guess the M1 landed in this year's updates to what the MacBook Air line, mm -hmm. uh, the mm -hmm. freshened up Mac Mini. And uh, they made a new entry-level MacBook Pro uh, that, that had it, right? Yes. So in addition to the uh, growing pains and adjustment problems that we also saw when they moved from the Motorola to the Intel in the early part of the 20th century, uh, the M1 is having some 
Some transitional pains here, uh, but Bloomberg is reporting that Apple uh, is working on a, a new series of their own chips that they want to be faster than Intel's top of the line. And uh, these chips could possibly pop up in Macs spring of 2021, which, as a reminder, is not all that far away now. And the Bloomberg uh, story is thinking that they want to have their entire line of Macs converted to their new chips by 2022, which, again, is also not that far, especially if you're trying to buy a new Mac. You know, and again, this is all just projections and, and Bloomberg's scoop factory there uh, is, is finding things out. But, but yeah, it but does look like there's another. Yeah, good about stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's Mark Gurman because yeah, he always gets all yeah, this. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, it's like we're heading for another uh, chip transition drama from Apple. Oh, yeah. Here we go. Yes, and finally. And finally. We hear a Poptech jam are pouring one out for the late, great Arecibo Observatory in Puerto Rico. This, oh, yes. This was Absolutely. so tragic. I mean, the iconic observatory which had a major on-screen role in the 1997 film Contact, and I believe it was also in uh, The Golden Eye, the, the Bond movie. Th- this uh, beautiful observatory sustained irreparable damage uh, in a storm this summer, which caused the U.S. Science Foundation, which was running it, to order it to decommissioned and disassembled due to the inability to uh, repair it. So, uh, And because it had taken so much damage during the storm, the 900-ton equipment platform collapsed earlier this month, taking with it a vital part of Puerto Rico's education, tourism, science, and business sectors because there was just so much happening around there. And just the fact this was a major science center and people who live there could go and get science careers going and and work at it and learn. And and so it's just tragic all around. There was a huge sense of pride that this thing was there. You know, that hurts considering the the series of awful things that have happened over the last couple of years in Puerto Rico. This is one more, you know, like one more blow to the body, mm-hmm. basically. And Piling this on. One, yeah, this one really hurts. Yeah. Really hurts. Yeah, and uh, I guess uh, the observatory, which opened in 1963, helped hundreds of students with their research, especially their doctoral research over the years. And attracted roughly 50,000 students and 50,000 other visitors on an average. People would come, you know, as a tourist attraction, too. Absolutely. Uh, This this was all sort of the numbers before Hurricane Maria really ripped through the island in 2017. But uh, to your point, you know, Puerto Rico has just had so much bad things, you know, rolling their way in the past five, six years. It's just sad. And there's so many videos also of this platform collapsing to it that sort of went around the world on Twitter. And everyone who's like a science person or an astronomy, you know, you just, you just felt like a little piece of you just breaking off as this platform collapsed. So it was iconic. Sometimes people use that word, you know, it's 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 overused. But this was something that was iconic. When you saw that, it spoke to a lot of things that America should be proud of. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And, yeah. you know, it was just, it's just a really disappointing situation. Very sad. Yeah. So, so pour we, one out. we pour Peace one to out. You out of Seawall. Yes. And hopefully they'll, you know, do the right thing and build some other facility there to replace it and make I it hope so. better. But yeah, it really, you know, it was, it was just state of the art for, for so long. It and, sure uh, was. So, Anyway, that, that's been a not-so-quick look at the news. For anyone out there who would like to know more about the topics we discussed in this section of the show, you can find them all at... PopTechJam.com Up next, I believe you have some microphones you would like to talk about. I do! I do! J.D. Pedro. You want to talk about microphones? Yes, let's talk about microphones because they are more important than ever now that we're all kind of in a remote world and connecting yeah, to each other through absolutely. microphones. 
I hear you've been impressing engineers across the country with your gear. Well, I have been showing off my Kaiser suggested uh, <laughs> setup here uh, when I have been doing media hits for another news organization. Um, Who shall remain nameless? Yes, yes, but it, but it definitely uh, I have a, a Yeti, uh, the sleek the black, black Yeti. Yeti. Yes, I'm telling you, it's I call it the Batman Yeti. Yes, that's and, what and it, it is. It it uh, noticeably stands out from people who are uh, using uh, AirPods or uh, cheaper, less uh, sophisticated uh, microphones for their. Because it uh, sounds good, right? Yes, it sounds uh, good. You want to know why it sounds good, even though it's a USB microphone? Why does it sound good, even though it's a USB microphone? Because the guts of the microphone are XLR. In fact, I think your version of the mic of that microphone might be a dual purpose. You oh, really now? Able, it, you might be able to. I'm not sure because I don't remember what exactly what model. But this leads me, this segues nicely into the whole point, the overarching point of this segment, which is I hate USB microphones. I really do. I really do. You must run across them a lot in your line of work. Every single day, maybe every hour of my work day, I have to run across them because we're in the Q zone, right? Mm -hmm. But again, the theme of the entire episode is we got to be flex in the Q zone. And the idea is I have to deal with USB microphones, but I don't have to like them. The Yeti is one of the top of the line USB microphones, and you pay a premium for it because the innards are basically an XLR microphone. They did not scrimp. They did not, you know, you've got, it is a condenser microphone, a very high-end condenser microphone, and the USB wasn't just an afterthought. Not a lot of USB microphones do that. I'm going to talk about one USB microphone from Shure and another non-USB microphone, and the reason I'm comparing them is because they literally come from the same family at Shure. And one of them, the Beta 87, there's actually two versions of the Shure Beta 87. It's a cardioid mic, actually a stand-up live microphone, a microphone you would use in a live situation. And then the Shure MV7, which is a strictly a USB microphone, basically the actual microphone portion of these two microphones are almost identical. Now, you would think that the design, if you look at the design of the Shure MV7, it looks like a Shure SM7, which is a standard radio mic. In fact, it's the mic that I'm talking into right now. It's the mic that Michael Jackson did Thriller with. It is a studio workhorse, but it's also a fantastic radio microphone because it rejects a lot of sound from behind it and from the sides. And essentially, that's what you want when you're recording in a noisy environment or if you're doing drums or stuff like that in a recording studio, you want to isolate that, that sound coming directly into it. So hence, for podcasts, that makes a lot of sense because if you're podcasting at home, which we've all been doing in the Q zone, you want to get something that you can set up and reject the motorcycle that's revving outside the window or the siren coming down the block, you've got a lot of stuff that's going on, you know, people stomping upstairs in your apartment. But now when you're talking about the MV7, it looks very much like an SM7 microphone. And of course, we will put links on the show page if you want to see what these microphones look like. You can connect the MV7 with a USB and XLR but its primary function 
is to be a USB microphone. So the first thing I did, of course, was plug it in with the XLR connection, and it's okay. It doesn't sound like an SM7B. The USB is supposed to actually be the same quality, but you have to run a separate application to tweak your microphone. Eh, you know, that's kind of... That's a little extra. It's a little extra. It's one extra layer of nonsense that you have to deal with. And on top of that, the sound quality you get isn't great. Where the microphone, the SM7 that I'm talking into now, it has a built-in pop filter, so I don't have to worry about popping and all sorts of, you know, plosives and all that stuff. I'm really up close to the microphone right now. I'm about three inches away from the microphone, and I'm saying a lot of P words and a lot of popping and all that stuff. And it's not destroying the sound like some other sensitive microphones. Like if you were using a condenser microphone with this microphone, which is a dynamic microphone, it does a really poor job. It does a very poor job. So you have to buy an extra pop filter and that's more stuff that's going to color the sound. I can't say I dislike the Shure MB7 USB microphone, but it's disappointing, especially when you're paying $249 for it. You could have more. You could have more. And it, that's exactly where the Beta 87 comes in. The Beta, Beta 87 comes in two flavors. It's an 87A and an 87C. The C and the A are about the polar patterns. I don't want to get into polar patterns. Let me just say that stage microphones are designed specifically to accept sound when you're coming straight onto it. And the reason for that is because if you've ever seen certain stage setups, there are monitors that are in front, especially if it's a big space, like you're in an arena, because the sound that's going to bounce back to you. So you want to have those monitors to know exactly what's going on. You want to hear the music as it's happening because you're singing to that and you don't want to sing to what the audience is hearing. Mm -hmm. There's always going to be that delay. So you have the monitors. Nowadays, of course, you have the in-ear monitors, which you know you see all these singers have the, the earbuds in their ears while they're performing. The idea is that this polar pattern, again, rejects sound. Not only does it reject sound, but it's ridiculously effective at rejecting it. Like if you turn off axis on one of these microphones, you don't hear anything practically. And they're designed for that because you want to prevent feedback. So you're probably asking, well, Pedro, this is supposed to be a segment about podcast mics. Why are you talking about a stage mic? Because the fact that it rejects sound from everywhere except the front makes it a perfect choice for when you're sitting in a noisy apartment trying to record your you know, podcast for the world or that interview that you're trying to do, you know, that, 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 you want it to sound good, but you don't want to spend a ton of money. Yeah, you want that mic to like tune out the stuff that you don't want in your podcast. Exactly. It is a pricey microphone. It's $249, just like the MV7. And the SM7, by the way, is $400 and up. So you're talking, you know, a big price jump when you're going from one to the other. The Beta 87, again, has that pop filter built in. So you don't necessarily have to worry about you know, destroying your recording by being too close up because you're already close up on it. But the, but again, it isn't a USB microphone. So you have to get an audio interface to work with it. So you're paying, you're, you're paying the extra price. 
my recommendation is you go ahead and do that. If you're setting up a studio on a budget and you've got a little extra money to pay for a microphone, but you don't want to have that big honking SM7B like I have, this is a great substitute. A Shure Beta 87, either the A or the C, will allow you the difference between the cardioid. I, I didn't want to get into it, but I will. The cardioid is basically, it's like a heart shape that a, a polar pattern in the front where it's accepting audio. Supercardioid, which is, I believe, the A flavor. The A flavor is supercardioid. It has that heart-shaped polar pattern in the front and a little bit in the back. But that that the the quality of the mic makes up for the fact that you are essentially not having to deal with you the let me start again. The quality of the mic make makes up for a lot of USB faults when you add a decent audio interface. And by decent, I mean like something from Scarlett or, you know, you don't have to pay through the nose for a USB interface, something in the hundred dollar range. If it's a one input XLR to uh, digital, you know, something along those range, I would stick with a Scarlett. Even Shure makes a decent one. They're a little pricey, but they make a decent one. But that, if you if you really care about the quality in your podcast, spend the money in the audio interface instead of buying a, a USB microphone. I think of the USB microphone as the all-in-one. Remember when stereos used to come in that all-in-one flavor? Oh, yeah, and they never really sounded that great. They never really sounded that great. Or when TV started putting, like, the DVD players in the TV. Mm-hmm. And, you know, okay, that's what happens when they change the format. You got to buy a new TV. Yeah, or when it so, breaks, yeah. Exactly. Think of it in that sense. You want you want to be able to separate your components just like you want to separate your audio gear. So you get yourself a decent, if it's just you on the microphone, you get a one input audio interface, Scarlet, Shure, you know, any anything, any, any company that has a decent reputation, do your legwork on Google and, you know, look at the reviews if they're legit reviews, but get a Shure beta microphone. It'll sound good. It'll be comparable to what you would get from a high-end, quote-unquote, radio mic, but it will really do the trick by rejecting the sound. And then, of course, you can always level up when you're ready to level up. If things are, you know, if you're doing well and you want to buy a better microphone, go for it. But this is a great starter mic. And I always get this question. The reason I'm doing this is, as you know, I always get asked, what mic should I use for, for doing a podcast? I think I asked you that. Yes, you did. My philosophy for me personally is always whatever microphone I have on me, like a camera, you know, the old joke, you know, what's the best camera to use, whichever one you have in your your hand, you know what I mean? But if you really want to give yourself a leg up in terms of quality and you don't want to spend the money on a, on a Yeti or a Shure or something along those lines, because Yeti's a pricey mic too. I mean, it was 300, at least 300 to 400 bucks. If you want to buy something in the mid-range that still sounds really good and can compete, but you 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 know there's a little more technical mojo you have to work to get it to to, to do its thing, I would go with the Shure Beta 87 and runs about two hundred forty nine dollars. I wasn't that thrilled with the MV7, unfortunately. Yeah, now, where do you uh, for our listeners out there? Uh, where do you personally purchase your audio equipment? I usually go to B and H or Sweetwater or something like that, but they have both these mics on Amazon. So if you're a a prime subscriber, you can go to Amazon and order them directly from there. All right. Or you could go to B&H. 
You can go to BNH. Yeah, which is BNH. a New York thing. But uh, anyway. It's a New York thing. All right. Yeah, so so you, have, you have fully answered the question here for- I did. I'm sorry to blather on so much. But no, you know, no, when I get talking on the, about this stuff, I can go for days. It, it is your love. It is um, my love. Yeah, well, okay. Very informative. And we will have links on the show page uh, to these models that Al Kaiser talked about uh, for anyone out yes, there who wants to uh, read more of the technical specs and whatnot. Absolutely. Yeah, so I think that kind of brings us to the end of our uh, show here. Oh, but it's only been an hour or so. Right, we could go on and on. We can, and on. You can if we wait long on enough, more on. news will happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got to thank the bros. Yes, thank you, bros. Thank you, bros. If you think it, they will build it, builtbybros.com. And thank you, listeners, especially uh, those of you who reached out and wondered if we were still doing the show yeah, that was or wondered very nice. uh, thank you. what we might be up to. Um, thank you uh, for. Uh, inquiring, uh, we, we just got a little, concern, yeah. yes, uh, we just got a little uh, separately crazy. Uh, so uh, hopefully things will calm down in the other parts of life the rest of the year, and we can get back into a sort of semi uh, yeah. reasonably regular recording session. I'm hoping for at least the next couple of months we can do it bi-monthly, and then you know, hopefully. A weekly thing again. Yes, get back up to speed. So anyway, so thank you, listeners, uh, for for uh, reaching out and uh, and for listening. True to your name. Uh, so until next time, uh, which we hope will be uh, not too far in the distant future, uh, we'll be back with more. I'm J.D. Beersdorfer. And I'm Pedro Rafael Rosado. Okay, everyone go watch Mandalorian now. Mandalorian. Oh, it rocks. <laughs>